0: I'm Doug Money, editor in chief of Space IT Bridge. 5G won't change the world other than keeping marketing people employed.
1: My name's Sean Kinney, and welcome to Will 5G Change the World? The podcast where we engage with a wide variety of industry experts to answer that important question. We got the short version from Doug already, but before we dig in, I was hoping you could tell me a little bit more about Space IT Bridge and how you developed a professional interest in satellite communications.
0: Oh, uh, thank you, Sean. Well, I'm editor-in-chief of Space IT Bridge. Um, it's a website uh, slash publication. that's focused on the overlap or Venn diagram, if you will, between uh, traditional IT and space technology. So the publications core coverage right now is in terms of satellite broadband, IOT, and um, somewhat data center and uh, big data types of apps. There's a lot of data flowing down from space. Um, I guess, uh, my interest in satellite stems a little bit from when I was with a startup company uh, and, and called uh, Sedera or Skycash. Um, we were back in the 2000-ish era um, building a uh, content delivery network based upon, uh, satellite, uh, delivery to get around the bottlenecks of the internet. And, um, and it's always been, you know, and, and always I've had this, like, uh, uh, hobbyist, um, view, not hobbyist view, uh, you know, I really like space rocket launches. So this, uh, space IT bridge gives me an excuse, uh, to pursue my, uh, Fondness for uh, hanging out with all the uh, geeky people and going to rocket launches, um, as well as to uh, uh, educate people about um, what's happening um, in the world of new space uh, with all these startups and, um, uh, you know, while being able to get to go to rocket launches. So, So it all works out.
1: All right, Very cool, Doug. And now you and I are connected on Twitter and I keep up with you there, but I like to use this podcast to get to know people uh, a little bit better. And to do that, we've got this recurring segment where I ask our guests three questions from the uh, Proust questionnaire. So uh, you ready? Yep. Fire away. All right. Question number one, Doug, who are your heroes in real life?
0: Well, that's a tough one, but right now I'd say uh, Jose Andreas and Anthony Cuomo.
1: I love Jose Andreas. Question two, where would you like to live? Well,
0: I know this is going to sound a little bit uh, playing on the fears, but I mean, you know, um, Australia or um, uh, Maui look pretty good right now.
1: (laughs) And Doug, question three, what is your motto?
0: I actually have two mottos. Uh, One of them is respect nature. Um, And I've, uh, it's something that I repeat to my daughter. I mean, you don't need to fear nature, but you need to respect nature. Um, and then my other motto would be: um, Our knowledge is only exceeded by our ignorance. Um, I'm fascinated to read how we're discovering new things in space and in biology and stuff like that. And it's kind of like, and it's it's one of these areas where I sit back and go, Yeah, but you know, our understanding of 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 real science, um, and uh, uh, in terms of like physics and biology and so forth, you know. Maybe it's been a, like a hundred, hundred and fifty years where we've had a, a real concentration on it, and we've got so much more to to dig into um, in terms of understanding. Um, you know, uh, you, know how, you know how things like the universe works. You know, quantum mechanics, gravity. You know, who understands gravity? It's like, well, we got a couple of theories, but eh, you know, and but you know, I drop an apple and it falls. We understand that, but beyond that, there's a lot of. Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of interesting uh, speculation as to how the nuts and bolts of that work. So, anyways,
1: all right. Well, let's uh, let's dissect our knowledge and ignorance of five G a little bit to get to this uh, titular question. Um, before I press you on uh, your comment about keeping marketing people employed, let's maybe set the stage a little with some context, drawing from your expertise and your coverage areas. Um, Earlier, you mentioned satellite broadband and support for IoT, but maybe you can give our listeners sort of a big picture view on how satellites fit into the 5G conversation and give us a few examples of use cases and applications that fit underneath this 5G umbrella where you see satellites having a distinct role to play.
0: Well, I, I think there's three specific roles or areas we could we, where we can talk about IG, um, about five G and where satellite fits. And um, the satellite community will tell you that um, satellite is a solution for everything, including making five G better. <laughs> um, whereas um, I, I think the the role that that I'm more comfortable with is that the five G community and the the wireless community needs to view satellite as the next complement or next piece to plug into the larger network. Um, So having set that broader picture, let me go into the the three different applications where, um, or areas where satellite and 5G are are, um, going to uh, work together. The first one is at 5G backhaul, and it seems to be relatively self-evident. You use a satellite to connect remote cell towers um, into the larger larger cellular network. and uh for five g backhaul, you get into the issue of um uh, having you need a lot of broadband uh you need a big pipe in essence and you need you want to have low latency um because if you use traditional geosynchronous satellites, the things that are you know parked twenty two thousand miles above the earth's surface um you know they deliver broadband you know anywhere from hundreds of megabits or more, but the problem with a geosynchronous large satellite is you have latency. Since you're parked 22,000 miles away from the earth, you've got a half second round trip between the, the uh, going from the earth up to the satellite and getting relayed back down. Um, so the new generation of um, satellite broadband is being built around Low Earth Orbit satellites—that is, satellites flying closer to the Earth's surface—and for that, um, companies are promising delivering not hundreds of megabits per second, but up to gigabits or multiple gigabit speeds um, for for broadband backhaul, um, which is really nice because when you start parsing through 5G, you know, 5G promises well representations again, depending upon what the marketer said, you know, you may get require gigabits per second um, between a um, 5g cell tower and a user Um, so the low earth orbit satellites because they're flying closer to the earth um, give you the advantage of you can um, uh, you know have relatively uh, more power and antennas to move more bits Um, so that's a the first advantage with these new wave of low earth orbit satellite networks Second advantage of low Earth satellite networks is that since you're closer to the Earth, in other words, you're, eh, you know, 300, 400 miles away from the, the Earth's surface, latency is much, much dramatically much lower. Latency is on the average of, uh, you know, uh, 15 to 25 milliseconds. Um, again, depending upon which marketer you're talking to in the satellite industry. So for that level of latency, it becomes acceptable um, to use a satellite network, a low Earth orbit satellite network, to connect um, cell towers between um, remote areas and the rest of the world. So 5G backhaul, the the companies involved in this space are, um, uh, OneWeb, um, which went bankrupt, we'll talk about that a little later, but OneWeb has said they're gonna build a low Earth orbit satellite network um, SpaceX with their Starlink project, Uh, uh, Telesat up in Canada, a traditional satellite company, is building a uh, low Earth orbit network. And then um, uh, the guy furthest out, or the company furthest out, is um, Amazon has also uh, filed paperwork and made statements. They want to build a, a low Earth orbit broadband network. Um, and then, of course, the application for this would be, if you've got a cell tower in the middle of nowhere um, or a, a community that needs to be served, um, you can use that low-earth orbit satellite to give, deliver latency for, um, for cellular backhaul and potentially 5G cellular backhaul depending upon how much bandwidth you can get out of the network and what your requirements for latency are. So that's a first use case. Second use case would be um, IoT Internet of Things. Um, There's an interesting, uh, there are a number of companies in Europe um, uh, OQ Technology, um, Saddle IoT, which is spelled like it sounds, take satellite and IoT and mash them together, and you get the name of the company. And a couple of others where um, companies are talking about using satellite to service um, or talk to NB IoT devices. Um, And um, there's a specific uh, specification within the uh, uh, 3GPP um, release 17, is a specific nerd talk for it, um, where um, there's a carve out or uh, definition for non-terrestrial networks. um, And falling under non-terrestrial networks under 3GPP will be, of course, satellite usage. So the use case in this is using um i o using satellites to extend the range of uh of nbiot and other types of um, iot protocols so um, and and this is a very beautiful thing because if you've if you're already um using nbiot or plan to use nbiot to like keep track of a of a shipping container or if you want to Uh, or other moving device um, you'll be able to use that same NBIOT device to to track that shipping container or the car or the the fill-in-the-blank whatever gizmo you want um, both through urban areas into rural areas where traditional cell coverage goes away so um, in this case the satellite is supplement to the the terrestrial network for for keeping track of things. And and this is very, very cool. And because with a small satellite, um, or with a group of small satellites, um, you can effectively extend NBIoT coverage to the entire world. So if you've, again, let's go back to that shipping container example. Um, If you're, um, you know, you put that shipping container and you can track it from um, where, from, you know, from let's say somewhere in China where that shipping container rolls into the dock in, um, in China. And then once it goes on the ship, you can keep track of it as it moves through the ocean it goes outside of terrestrial cellular coverage. And then when the shipping container gets to the dock um, in uh, San Francisco, you can pick up tracking of that coverage as it hits the United States and gets on a truck and then when that truck goes through the Rocky Mountains where cellular coverage goes on and off, you can keep track of that uh, uh, thing all the way across the United States until the, um, until whatever's in that shipping containers, container is delivered. So that's a second use case. Third use case and the most radical one, and there's a lot of skepticism in terms of um, whether or not this can be done, is using satellites as a replacement for cell towers where you effectively um use an overhead satellite to communicate with an unmodified uh, cellular phone and uh you know you don't need to drop a cell tower anywhere you just talk to, you just use your um, phone to do sms text messaging and then later voice and video and all the other good stuff um but um, for that third use case where satellites provide or are the are the cell tower rather than a, a cell tower that you have to build on earth, um, there's a lot of skepticism because of the physics involved um, in terms of, um, you know, does your cell phone have the specific power to talk to a satellite? And the answer is, well, if you're just doing text messaging, yeah. Um, but what if you want to do 5G types of services? You know, in other words, voice and video. And then the, the math and the physics start to be get to be considerably harder depending upon how much data you want to move.
1: Okay, so now to your view that 5G will not change the world. And granted this podcast is in its early days, but you are the first uh no that I've gotten. So I'm eager to explore that. So to start, you know, if I try to distill every talking point I've ever heard about the transformative power of 5G, I'd say something like this by connecting people and assets capturing analyzing and contextualizing real time data and using that data to increase efficiency we'll see a very real impact on productivity and operational costs across all high value economic sectors so is what i just said is it hyperbolic is it naive is it even an accurate distillation of four years worth of corporate marketing
0: um if you were to white out 5g and drop an lte wouldn't the premise be the same
1: most definitely
0: and the answer is and the answer is it's not about 5g it's about the cellular network a lot of the hype a lot of the bs i mean i i'll say bs let me let me spin the clock back um when people were talking about lte verizon you know um had a, a research lab and the head of this research lab came and and spoke and he and he and he talked about how you would have LTE in your washing machine and and Sean you may remember this you're I don't want to say you're old enough but you know you've been around long enough that that you remember this hype where Verizon was advocating or or the, the head of this development lab for LTE was saying that your 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 washing machine would have LTE in it. All your appliances would have LTE LTE in it. And coming from that, you would be you would have a whole new business paradigm because you would pay by the wash for um, doing your laundry through the magic of LTE. And you know this is before parsing through um, the issues of how much does LTE add to the cost of your generic dishwasher, your generic dishwasher or, or washing machine or dryer or security considerations, or how can you get LTE signal into your basement? (laughs) I mean, you know, there's a whole, there was a whole set of, of, you know, but Verizon was running around and, and, you know, and other folks were running around going, you know, the world is going to change because of X. And w- that's where I go back to my in- initial premise, you know, about, you know, the marketing guys are going to, you know, marketing guys are going to change the world. I mean, the marketing guys are the only ones who are going to be um, employed. Um, you know, and, and at 5G, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, there's, again, let me go back to the macro issue. There's a lot of use cases and promises where 5G is going to change everything and um i'm very skeptical because i saw the same sort of hype with lte now what i will say is that 5g is an evolution of technology and maybe five years down the road we will see some things where 5g is delivering more economic benefit more social benefit more business benefit but um let me tell you something a lot of people are getting a lot of knowledge of um, out of um, LTE that I would have never seen like for instance um, um, there's a lot of talk going on about how uh, companies are doing their own private LTE networks um, within their organization's uh, use case for example um, uh, MGM uh, casinos and I think some of the other casinos are starting to experiment with um, implementing private LTE networks within their properties um, in order to um, better service customers, better provide uh, cellular service both for their businesses and for their um, uh, customers, visitors, um, and so forth. So you know there's a lot of mileage still be gained out of LTE and you can get up and you're and you can get speeds you can squeeze speeds of of up to i guess a gigabit per second out of LTE with the appropriate handset and enough bandwidth. So um there's been a lot of promises with LTE where where the three the three uh uh triangle points of why why not excuse me um There's a with 5G there's been three key triangle points for why LTE is so great. One of them is more bandwidth and and bandwidth, not in terms of um, up to a gig, but multiple gigabits. Number one. Number two is low latency. In other words, uh, single digit latency between um, uh, handset and uh, cell tower radio. Um, And the third thing is that um, with 5G is that you can um service or connect to or talk to with the internet of things, you know, literally millions of things within a geography. Um, now millions of things within a geography um, uh in terms of density in terms of internet of things is very good. And um I'll I'll tip my hat to 5G for for that being a a um evolutionary part rather than the tens or hundreds of thousands of things you can serve currently service within a geography. But um, a lot of people are doing this today with the existing networks using, uh, you know, virtualization um, uh, in terms of um, handling large numbers of devices now where you don't need 5G. It's nice to have 5G to handle millions of devices within a geography, but, um, you know, with a little ingenuity and duct tape, you can handle large numbers of devices today with LTE um low latency well low latency is always nice but um you know am i gonna run a 5g in my household in order to do my my virtual reality headset in a household or run my virtual reality headset within a uh, building for the um, industrial use case to get that multi-megabit speeds um, and then all of a sudden? Uh, the minute I come off the uh, wireless side, I have to have low latency within the rest of the network chain, right? I need to have low latency on the on, the, on whatever fiber runs between the cell tower or um, uh, internal repeater um, of five G um, back to the server, which also has to have low latency. Um, you know, I, you you get into issues of of, of you know, again, it's like yeah, this is really great. You're going to have single digital digit latency for five G between a handset and a uh, um, uh, the cell tower radio. But what about the back end? You have to fix the back end, and nobody's you know a lot of people you know there's a lot of you don't hear a lot of talk other than we need to pull more fiber. Um, one of my other mottos would be "fibers the answer to everything but um you know but the solution to latency um is going to require more than just 5g it's going to have and require deeper network improvements um now the third thing about um uh, you know having a handset or having a delivering a multi-gigabit um Services to either handset or via fixed wireless, that also gets you into an issue of how do you support that and um when I mean how do you support that? How do you deliver multiple gigabits in between the um, radio network um, and that includes well, you need more fiber um, which is happening, um, but you also need smaller cells. You get into some, you get into a lot of RF mystical issues where um, you start talking about line of sight and you know millimeter wave frequencies. I mean, it all. Once you start looking past the marketing hype and some of the the some of the sales pitches built on on this, it's like, well, you know, multiple gigabits um, to houses. It's not going to change the world. Because you've got multiple ways to get multiple gigabits to to highly dense urban environments other than 5G. Um, Just like you're going to have multiple ways to get multiple gigabits um, into a business to run uh, AR or VR or whatever app that you're you're choosing for, for, for 5G. So, you know, once everybody takes a breath and you know burns the marketing hype and looks at beyond the marketing hype into how 5G is going to be implemented, and the use cases that 5G is going to require, then, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. So, you know, 5G is an evolution, it's not gonna change the world, but, um, you know, and people are gonna to have to work with it, work out the bugs with it, work out the bugs with the backend systems that, you know, again, the backend network, pull more fiber, um, better servers, um, in order to, uh, you know, in order for five G to be of economic value and and of business value, you know, you know, my, I, I guess I'm a contrarian here. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that five years down the road, five G will make a significant contribution. But, you know, a lot of people, like I said, a lot of people are squeezing a lot of work, especially outside of the U. S. Um, out of LTE, and it's 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 really a beautiful thing because you know. People aren't going to be able to afford the expensive 5G equipment or deploy high densities of um, uh, microcells into their communities because they just can't afford it. Um, so that's, that's, that's my end statement would be uh, 5G is nice, but you know we've, we've still got a lot of work to do in other areas um, in order to get the full u- utilization out of it. It's not going to change the world.
1: Yeah, you make a lot of valid criticisms there, Doug. And, you know, you and I both spend a lot of time engaged with with marketing professionals. And I would say there's a tendency to um, be a little reductive in in technology as a, uh, you know, panacea for all these problems. So, you know, as you noted, 5G in and of itself does not enable mobile AR, VR. You need to have a concurrent uh, distribution of computing power out to the edge. You know, same thing, 5G in and of itself does not, fix capacity issues you still need to invest in your transport network and pull more fiber so so all points well taken i wanted to circle back to something you said regarding uh, one web i don't mean to intentionally timestamp stamp when we're recording this but they've been in the news a lot because of their recent bank lo- bankruptcy declaration and um yeah i don't track satcom very closely but i am familiar with one web probably because of their backers and SoftBank, richard branson qualcomm ventures and so forth So maybe you could give us a quick take on what happened here with OneWeb and what, if anything, does this mean for the bigger outlook on satellite-based delivery of, you know, to use OneWeb's tagline, connectivity everywhere?
0: Well, I think that um, the open secret among analysts um, looking at OneWeb was it was going to take more than... Three to four billion dollars to build out the network. The estimate was that it was going to take up to six billion dollars to build a build and launch six hundred plus satellites um, uh, into low Earth orbit. Um, even if you were putting satellites up at thirty plus each time you launched a rocket, that's a lot of rockets. Do the math. It's like you know you're launching a rocket once a month for months and months and months, months. So the net net is that um one web um, raised about three billion dollars which got them to the point where they proved that their satellites work they were able to get a, a factory built in florida to, to crack out satellites in volume you know anywhere from two to three satellites per day um and they had tested and proved that they can deliver up to 400 uh, megabits per second to a uh, to an, to a user on the ground and um, had low latency, you know, thirty-five second uh, millisecond latency. So from a technical side, yeah, they could do it. But the answer is, of course, as as is usual, layer eight money. They needed more money to 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 build and launch the additional satellites, and they ran out of money. And there's speculation even before the COVID-19 Sith came along and, and basically shut everything down that um, there was always a, a, a buzz or discussion among the analysts that, you know, that one would need more money. The expectation was, at least from where I sat, was that, you know, SoftBank loves to throw money at things. I mean, my God, they threw money at Sprint. When, even when Sprint was like a dying hole in the ground, but, you know, I, I don't want to get into a rant about Sprint, but, you know, one web threw untold billions of dollars, not one web, excuse me, SoftBank threw untold billions of dollars at um, WeWork to bail out WeWork, and I don't know if WeWork was a straw that broke the camel's back at SoftBank and they just said, hey, we're not going to throw money at anything anymore, or... Or what? But I mean, you know, I, I just the um, you know my expectation was I thought SoftBank would 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 pony up a check and um, to to finish the network and to at least deploy a network for uh, satellite broadband to to cover the entire world and to serve the underserved. But um, I want to, but for any reason that didn't happen. Now the speculation is that since SoftBank is the primary, I guess, debtor in possession or the largest. Uh, shareholder within the bankrupt or up to OneWeb, um, SoftBank is going to buy up all the uh, buy out all the other um, investors for penny on the dollar. And then once SoftBank owns OneWeb in its entirety, they may fund uh, the additional three billion uh, for OneWeb to uh, get to initial service with its full 600 plus satellites. But um, that's all speculation right now because again, uh, uh, you know, one of them filed for bankruptcy. Uh, everybody in the market's defensive. Um, it will SoftBank um, buy out all the investors and then shell an additional three billion. Uh, you know, Magic Apple says, who knows? Um, to the the economic uncertainty. Um, now, to answer your other side of that question, what does this do to uh, you know connecting the unconnected or connecting everybody around the world and the answer the the it's it's a deeper question in twofold number one is that um the dirty little secret among both soft web and uh the uh, spacex starlink scheme is that um you need a very uh cheap user terminal to deliver to people before you can even talk about connecting you know somebody in Africa or somebody in a um uh, a rural area of the u s Um, in order to uh, connect with this uh, uh, constellation of satellites constantly whizzing by. Um, And the price tag on um, current state-of-the-art price tag for a uh, a flat panel antenna that can keep track of two or more satellites at once, um, that price tag is $5,000. So nobody has the missing link of um, uh, cheaper satellite terminals. And um, I mean, a lot of people are working on it. A lot of smart people are working on it. But um, what's happened, and even if you look at some of the writing on the wall with OneWeb, is that, you know, uh, the underserved uh, uh, don't have the money. Um, and I and this is, this is going to sound a little bit brutal, but OneWeb initially started talking about connecting all schools, talking, you know, connecting one school in every county in the world or, you know, every city in the world um, with high-speed broadband. But um, you can't do that out of your own pocket at $2,000, a pop for a satellite antenna, number one. Number two is you need to have revenue. You need to have revenue in order to pay everybody else and to build and maintain the satellite network and so forth. So OneWeb started swinging, and this was self-evident started swinging from its message of connecting everyone which they did you know they they still hold on to that message but they started underplaying that message and started focusing on vertical markets such as the airline industry um, slash aviation um, remote users uh, you know remote government users oil and gas industry um, maritime and um, you know because who's, you know, is, if you can only get a couple bucks a month out of somebody in Africa versus getting, you know, a couple of hundred dollars per month out of a, um, out of a, uh, out of an air, out of a terminal on a ship, or, you know, a couple thousand dollars per month out of a terminal on an aircraft, you know, where does it make most economic sense to go get the first customers The the answer is you go to the business customers that are going to pay you, you know, a couple thousand couple hundred dollars um, per connection, not the guy out in the middle of nowhere. And, um, you know, God bless OneWeb for highlighting the fact that the rest of the world needs better connectivity. Um, since as COVID-19 proves, we are either all members of the Internet Society or we are not members of the internet society in terms of having connectivity. But, um, you know, the issue is you gotta make some big bucks in terms of um, making business users um, before you can get into consumer. And I think that um, OneWeb should have focused on consumer.
1: In response to that, I have uh, three comments. Uh, First one is that what you said regarding SoftBank, WeWork, and and OneWeb is uh, almost a mirror of a conversation I had with the rest of the editorial team on Slack on Tuesday. Um, (laughs) My second comment is someone who is using the quarantine to revisit all of the Star Wars films and the Clone Wars TV series. I appreciate your references to the Death Star and to the Sith. And third, Doug, it's been great speaking with you, and I really appreciate you taking the time to share your perspective and answer the question, Will 5G Change the World? Uh,
0: Thank you. My pleasure. Um, Pleasure to be on.
1: Will 5G Change the World is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. The show today was produced and edited by me, Sean Kenney. Thanks for listening.